All right. Well, good morning. It is always such um, an honor and blessing to be able to share God's word with you um, and and just uh, be able to have some time together. So today we are going to talk about roots, specifically uh, something that scripture refers to as a bitterness root. But when I think of roots, I think of root vegetables. And as a mostly sometimes cheating vegetarian, I love root vegetables. They're my favorite. One of my favorites are beets. And not just because of Dwight Schrute and The Office and my fandom for that. Um, I I already loved them before that. But I, um, you know that moment. Any Office fans in here? Okay. The moment where he bites the beat. Do you think it's really a beat? Because how how could you, you're not supposed to, you have to cook those. So I went to look it up if maybe he didn't bite a real beet, like it was an apple or painted or something. I didn't find that. That's my theory, though, that it was an apple. I did find that his entire backstory was improvised by the actor, Rain Wilson. They didn't make backstories for the characters because they didn't think the show would take off. And there was just a one-off line in the Olympics episode where he said, I have, you know, I have a nine-bedroom farmhouse on a beet farm. And he just said it, and they kept it in the show, and then they were stuck with that backstory. So then it just kept building and building and building. So Rain Wilson came up with his own backstory for that. But I love beets. I love carrots. I try to grow carrots, and I fail miserably. Carrots are supposed to be sweet, but anytime I grow them, they are bitter as all get out. I don't know what I do wrong. They're great big carrots, but they taste awful. Um, and then no one from my family is allowed to answer. This is not a root, but it is a vegetable, and it kind of goes with what I'm saying. Who knows what this is? Hey, we have people who know what it is, but do you know how to eat it and cook it? Because that's always the tricky part. Every good Italian family on Thanksgiving is going to have a stuffed artichoke with their meal. Uh, And my parents and grandparents taught me how to make a stuffed artichoke, and you don't eat the leaves. Every time I make this for somebody, they're like, oh, this is so great. And they pick a leaf, and they try to eat the whole thing. I'm so glad you made this for me. Mm, And they're trying to swallow it. You can't do that. Don't eat these leaves. That that would be terrible. Uh, It's just the stuffing inside. Because it's very bitter and unedible. It's very, you wouldn't like that. Some roots are bitter, and they are not meant to be eaten. Likewise, there can be bitterness that sprouts up in our lives that, in a manner of speaking, it doesn't leave a really great taste behind. Bitterness has a way of making us feel like something's not right. But first, let's make sure we are defining bitterness so it's not just a flavor that we're going to talk about today. Bitterness, if we've got the definition up, is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly or resentment. Anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly or resentment. Bitterness impacts all of us. You kind of maybe some of you see where I'm going with this and you already thought of some situations. Yep, you're right. I am bitter about that. (laughs) I remember what he did, I remember what she said. Pretty bitter. Yep, and I deserve to be because I was treated unfairly. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, thank goodness I resolved that years ago, and I don't have to feel guilty during this sermon right now because, yep, uh, that big fight or whatever that was years ago totally handled that. But bitterness can come up in little annoyances too, right? Hey, I noticed uh, (laughs) trash looks pretty full. Yeah, I know. I, I got another plastic bag. I tied it on the knob there, so just use that. All right, I noticed uh, toilet paper, you, you didn't change that. Oh, yeah, it's cool. I just took it and I put it on top of the bar 
So it's resting right there. It's more convenient. You pick it up, it comes to you, you put it back. Why, why take that extra effort? Well, I noticed uh, uh, that the can that, that I'm sure you meant to recycle, uh, it, it's right here, and, and the recycling bin's right there. In fact, I could sneeze it into the recycling bin. Yeah, that was my thought. We would just experiment. Could we sneeze it into the recycling bin? I don't know where I'm getting these examples from. Uh, but, but this bitterness, these little annoyances that kind of add up, they become like little dandelions just in your yard, just kind of sprinkled about until it becomes a really big problem. So today we're going to talk about identifying, removing, and recovering from a bitterness root. And this is so important because there's not just one season in your life where this is going to happen and we can all study and hunker down and prepare for when a bitterness root sprouts up. We have to have the tools in scripture to help us identify, remove, and recover from a bitterness root because it can pop up at any time. Nobody plans to be treated unfairly. No one sees bitterness coming. It's sneaky and it's subtle. We, we don't plan for that. What happens, uh, and, and then we think about it over time and it just sort of builds up. And sometimes it's a very unconscious attitude that we have. And we don't even realize the next time we interact with that person, there's something a little off. There's something a little different. The next time we have to assume something of that person Maybe we're not being very generous with our assumption because something is still lingering there. Well, here's what scripture has to say about bitterness and where we're going to spend a lot of our time thinking through this bitterness root and where this comes from. So Hebrews 12, 14 through 17 is going to talk about this. If you want to mark this um, in your Bibles or take a moment to open this up because we're going to kind of flip back and forth and, and dig through it, but it'll also be on the screen. But Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, we're going to start with the first part of this verse, and it says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it, no one will see the Lord. That's huge. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it may become defiled. That sounds pretty urgent to me. Without peace and holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that you don't have a bitter root springing up or else through it will become defiled, will defile others. These verses, they're giving us really good life advice, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God. Uh, but especially if you do believe in God, I hope we were paying attention there. Live in peace with each other. Don't cause trouble, bitterness, and no peace. No one will see the Lord. This is a we-need-to-solve-it-today problem. This has just become very urgent if the Holy Spirit has brought someone or something to mind. We can either live in peace and harmony, or we could be creating a bitterness root and distance ourselves from our family, but not only that, distance ourselves from God. This is talking about decisions that we make, sin in our lives, causing so much trouble that it hurts other people. And it might sound like, oh, no, we're not fighting. Oh, no, there's nothing big going on here. It's just roll my eyes every time that trash is full. Or maybe I make passive-aggressive remarks when the toilet paper is doing that thing. Hey, guess, guess you forgot how to use this. I'll teach you. Just it lifts right here and put it on his, we're good. And, and we don't see that coming. We don't really think of that as this giant bitterness root, but that, that adds up over time. And with extended family, it's almost worse. So I know we've got Thanksgiving coming up. 
Thanksgiving has a lot of opportunities, doesn't it? And so does Christmas. And extended family, you wouldn't think it would be such a problem because maybe you don't see them as much, and time will heal it, right? You know, well, that fight happened over Easter. It's Thanksgiving now. That incident happened, you know, years ago. But I don't have to tell some of you, man, it just, you pick up right where you left off, even if you haven't seen people in months or years. That time where it's gone unanswered, that can make it even worse. We've woven a whole system of bitterness roots underneath the surface. In fact, do you know the plant with the longest total root system? I hope not, because that'd be a really weird, fun fact for you to know. I didn't know. I had to Google it. Um, so it's a grass. I expected it to be a tree. So the answer for deepest root system is a tree, if that's where you're thinking. You were right. But total length root system is a grass called rye. Rye, like I'm making bread, I'm making cereal, yeah. Well, it has an extensive fibrous root system. I think we've got a picture of it. It has a total root length when you actually add up all the fibrous roots of it. Are you ready? You're probably guessing numbers in your head. You won't guess this number. 387 miles. I said miles. That's like the trip to my family's house for Thanksgiving and back. Miles, 387 miles. We have thought this way maybe about each other for so long. We have 387 miles of bitterness roots growing. We can either have a field full of helpful grain or miles and miles of incredibly bitter roots. Paul is saying in Hebrews, you better identify this bitterness root and do not let it grow. In fact, I'll bet someone or something has already come to mind this morning. The Holy Spirit is really good about that. Yep, here it is. That's what I want you to think about. Yep, here they are. That's who I wanted you to come to mind. No, no, are you sure? Put that back, put that back. It's got to be something easier than that. Nope, that too. So I want, you, I want you to sit on that. I want you to reflect on that and think about that as we're going through. This verse in Hebrews, if you keep reading, it's going to mention a character named Esau from the Old Testament. Um, he's somebody who Jewish people at the time hearing this message uh, that was written in Hebrews um, they would have been very familiar with Esau. And I want to help you understand exactly who Esau is before we keep going in this verse in Hebrews, before I sort of reveal the second part of this for you. Um, if you were here actually for Pastor Shane's message, he preached on this scene about Jacob and Esau a few weeks ago. I also recall he made fun of me in that sermon for liking lentil stew, because lentil stew comes up in this, and we're going to talk about it again, but I have the microphone now, and I have, you know, that night I went home and I made lentil stew, and it was delicious, because it's one of the best soups, so anyway, Esau and Jacob, they are these famous brothers in the Old Testament who are best known for their sibling rivalry. The entire family, actually, who we have been talking about through this series of family dysfunction, they are one of the earliest families ever recorded in history where we see a lot of family dynamics and drama unfold. Um, so we're going to look at this family tree, so to speak, in Genesis. And I, I want you to take notice of this. It's going to come back later, and it's going to be pretty important. Uh, Pastor Eric talked about uh, Abraham and Sarah and their you know, lack of trust in God, whether or not God was going to be able to give them children and how they sort of took matters into their own hands. And then... Uh, God kept his promise, and Abraham and Sarah did have their son Isaac. Then last week, we looked at this father-son relationship between Abraham and Isaac. It was a pretty grim tale at first for a father-son moment, right? We talked about Abraham being asked to sacrifice 
his son Isaac. And spoilers if you didn't let, listen last week, a God provides an animal sacrifice in Isaac's place. So then now we have Isaac. He grows up, falls in love, and he meets Rebecca and marries her. And so we're, this is where we're going to pick up in this same family dysfunction in the story of this family with now their children, uh, Jacob and Esau. So I'm going to read through this passage in Genesis where we're going to learn a lot about Esau and why he comes up again in the New Testament in this verse in Hebrews. So let's pick up in Genesis 25, and this will be 21 through 34 again. It'll be on the screen. Um, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Jacob and Esau weren't just any brothers. They were twins and sons within the original patriarchy of God's promised people. To appreciate the level of family dysfunction that is about to go down, that is about to unfold, you have to understand the importance of being the firstborn in this patriarchy. The firstborn is top dog. You, uh, you, know, you get the inheritance. You get the blessing. You receive twice the share of the family fortune. The family is entrusted to you. The model car is in the will. You get it all, right? It's all promised to the firstborn. But what do we see in this passage? God is foretelling something here to Rebecca that's not actually going to be the firstborn twin who's top dog. It's actually going to be the secondborn. The older will serve the younger. So these brothers, Jacob and Esau, in the womb, did you catch it? They don't get along. Even, even before they're born, they're not getting along. They're literally jostling and wrestling. You've got little fetus Jacob and little fetus Esau just wrestling in there. You've got sibling rivalry that early on. It, it's both literal, and it kind of shows their personalities, but it's figurative, and it's important foreshadowing for what is about to happen when they grow up. So let's keep going. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, Ugh. so they named him Esau, and after this, I mean, you've just known that forever. <laughs> That's just, everybody reads that about you forever and ever. Uh, after this, his brother came out, uh, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The name Jacob in Hebrew has two related meanings. Uh, one is follow closely at the heel, or second born, and then related to that is this word supplanter, which is often interpreted as, as someone who seizes by the heel. So not just follows by the heel, but seizes by the heel, circumvents, usurps, takes by force, schemes. Sorry if you're named Jacob. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Well, there's the first thing that's going to send you to therapy. It sounds like their parents treat them a little different. Yikes. Okay, that's a different sermon. Uh, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that delicious best ever red stew. I'm famished. <laughs> Jacob replied, first, 
sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. I just love it. It's how I would say it, but it's how he said it. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. When I read the story of Jacob and Esau, do you know who I'm mad at? You know who seems wrong here to me? Jacob. Jacob, just just feed your brother some stew. Is it that hard? What do you got to trick him for? What do you have to take something from him for? Don't you love him? Hand over the soup. Like, I know it's good. But, and it doesn't end with this story between them. It's all we really have time for today. But, but there is another story between these brothers uh, where Jacob not only has now taken the inheritance, but he's going to take the ultimate blessing from Esau. There's another time uh, they've grown up further, and now their father Isaac is blind, and he can't see, but it's time for him to give the blessing to the firstborn, and he's preparing now for, to give this blessing to Esau, but guess what happens? While Esau is going out and cooking for his father to prepare for this blessing, who comes in but Jacob, dressed up like Esau, made himself all hairy, because, uh, and, you know, Isaac kind of feels him, like, okay, you must be Esau, uh, and, he, and he gives the blessing, and he gives it to Jacob who's dressed up and deceived everybody again. And it works. Jacob gets the blessing. He's duped him out of the inheritance. He's tricked his whole family into getting this this blessing, this second portion. Jacob, man, I'm getting a little salty at him. I'm getting a little upset here. He's really created a lot of family dysfunction. What do we do with that when someone hurts us that deeply, especially with family? I'm an only child. I, I think that that's maybe an odd person to be in the room. I don't know if we've got any other only children here. Typically, people have siblings. I read a story like Jacob and Esau, and I have a hard time relating because I grew up just me. It was kind of nice. I had my room to myself. I had my TV to myself. I had my toys to myself. Vacations were kind of boring, but, you know, everything was, was me, and I, I didn't have anyone to fight with or bicker with. I didn't have a ton of competition or drama going up. The thing about this story, though, this advice about not allowing a bitterness root in our lives, it applies beyond just family relationships. The warning we read in Hebrews applies to all of our relationships. I've got one story in particular I was hesitating to tell you this morning um, because I haven't talked about it for a long time. happened a long time ago. Super not bitter. (laughs) But it fits so perfectly because it's what the Holy Spirit put on my heart as I've been going through uh, this series and as I keep studying more. Yep, that's the story. Yep, that's the situation. So I'm going to take you back over a decade ago when Frank and I were first married uh, and we had picked out our apartment. We had signed the contract on it, but we hadn't lived in it together first. We were just like getting it ready, you know, moving everything in. It was a hole of an apartment in Baltimore. No, there were literal holes in this apartment. Like, oh, the wall has a whole new feature in here. Okay. Uh, and so his uncle, thankfully, helped fix it up for us. And his, he, um, you know, patched all the holes and he was painting things. And we go away for our honeymoon. And that whole week, um, he was in and out of the apartment fixing it up for us. And no, that's very thoughtful. And then I also had my maid of honor at the time, the maid of honor of our wedding, had also asked for 
a key to our apartment because she wanted to stock the fridge full of groceries, make it all nice. Isn't that nice? Come home from your honeymoon and have this wonderful apartment. And uh, friends of ours had the apartment beforehand, so they had a key, and so they, you know, let her have that. Wouldn't you know, we get this urgent phone call from Frank's uncle on our honeymoon. What'd you guys do? Did you get home early? Uh, Did did someone break in? Like, what's going on here? I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Well, it turns out she had trashed the apartment. Food everywhere. Yeah, there was food. But it was like intentionally messy food all over the counters and pizza boxes left out. There was like other people's clothes in our bed to make it look like other people were in our bed, like a really funny huge bra. (laughs) Uh, And then in the bathroom, it was filled, the shower was filled with balloons. If you know me at all, you know I'm (laughs) anti-balloon. They are the scourge of the environment. No balloons. All right, but they were filled with balloons. She took the shampoo and conditioner bottles, flipped them upside down, and now it was just pouring all down the shower. Goldfish were in the toilet. That's kind of funny. It's kind of, you look back, it's a little funny. Except for I had cleaner in the toilet, so they all died. What, I, what, what do I, he's describing the scene to us. Are you sure? Our apartment. Do you have the right key? And I'm trying to piece it together. No, I haven't been home. No, I don't know anyone who would, oh, wait a minute. So-and-so asked for a key to the, ah, could you imagine? Who wants to come? That's what I want to do when I come home from my honeymoon. I want chores. It just, it didn't add up. I didn't know what to make of it. I guess she thought it was funny, and I felt duped. I felt deceived. This was my friend. I, I didn't know how to handle it, so I didn't handle it. I didn't talk to her. whole week went by when we got home for our honeymoon. I just poured myself into work. I had a ton to do. Finally, she calls me after a week, and she's trying to, you know, bring it up. And her apology was, I'm sorry you didn't think it was funny. Ooh. (laughs) I I didn't know where to put any of those feelings, so I didn't put them anywhere. I didn't really reconcile anything. And then we didn't talk for a long time. And this is a point when... um, Instagram wasn't a thing, but Facebook was. That was kind of a big deal. Before I know it, I'm scrolling around. Add friend. Oh, she just defriended me. Okay. And that was the relationship. I wish I could stand here and tell you how we reconciled and we became besties again after that, but I don't have that story. I have a story of 300-some miles of bitterness with her and not being able to find a place to reconcile, and I don't want that for you today. We all have stories. You know, looking back, it's kind of funny now. It's kind of lighthearted. <laughs> and you look in that story, though, and you think, who was wrong? She was. Who trashes an apartment? But that's not what Hebrews has to teach us. So now we're going to look at the second half of that Hebrews verse, and it picks up in verse 16. It says, and see to it, that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, not like Jacob, like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. You see, what Jacob did was wrong, but what Esau had in his heart was worse. Jacob lies, 
Jacob wronged Esau. Jacob tricked Esau out of the birthright. He deceived his own father into giving Jacob what was supposed to be Esau's blessing. And then after that, he runs away. It's crazy. He might as well have gone into Esau's tent and put goldfish in his toilet while he was at it. Like, he wasn't a great brother. But remember, bitterness isn't just anger. It's anger about being treated unfairly. So you've likely been treated unfairly. Trashing my apartment was wrong, but the resentment I allowed in my heart after that was worse. So what Jacob did was wrong, but Hebrews showed that bitterness was worse. Here's what I find especially interesting about the whole trading a birthright for a lentil soup thing, because honestly, it's kind of a head-scratcher. It says Esau despised his birthright. Here's what I think the Hebrews verse and the premonition and the foreshadowing within the brother's birth story is getting at. Esau, as he grew up, had already formed a bitterness root. You don't give up your birthright for soup. That doesn't happen in a moment for someone who loves his family. That doesn't happen in a moment for someone who's proud of his birthright. I think Esau already had a disposition in his life, a bitterness, to not value his relationship with his family, his relationship with his father, and ultimately his relationship with God because look where it led him. Esau was short-sighted, and he traded a legacy. He traded his inheritance and in being part of not only his biological earthly family inheritance, but let me tell you, the birthright, it was a lot more than getting a model car in the will. It was a lot more than getting two cows instead of one cow. Because of his bitterness, Esau gave up a position in God's family. When you read the Gospels, the first Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, lists the genealogy of Jesus. All the people who are in the family line of the Messiah. Well, do you know how it starts? We're going to go back to that family tree. Well, here's the verse in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And then it moves on. It doesn't say Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau. See, he's out. Not Esau, but Jacob. Because Jacob has the birthright now. Jacob gets to be in the direct line of Jesus. He didn't despise it. Esau replaced his call to be part of something bigger than himself for soup. Esau despised his place in God's kingdom for worldly possessions, for what was in front of him at the time, because he couldn't appreciate what God had planned for his future. How true is that for all of us? We all, as human beings created by the one true God, we are given a birthright, a place in God's family. You and I are designed in the image of God and saved by Jesus the Messiah who died on a cross for our sins to welcome us into eternity with him. We all have this birthright, and yet, how often do we allow this bitterness root to form in our lives, to disrupt relationships until we choose soup. That is the ultimate family dysfunction, I would say, within God's family. When we choose 
terrible decisions, lying, hurting other people, gossiping, not forgiving. We choose pride, a number of other things, instead of truly following God. It becomes rooted in who we are until uh, that's how we're acting, until that bitterness is something we hardly notice, and it grows like weeds until we remove it. So we must, church, today, we must identify bitterness roots in our lives remove them, or else they'll cause harm and disunity, and finally recover. So thankfully, this is not the end of Jacob and Esau's story. We'll close with this final scene between Jacob and Esau. Like I said earlier, Jacob ends up running away, having a whole other life. Um, years go by, he gets married, he has kids, lots of kids, and uh, just like it was said in the blessing that he received from Isaac, uh, his household did very well. So time has passed. He's doing great. But Jacob gets word that Esau is coming to find him. Well, he's terrified. (laughs) The brother who probably wants to kill him is coming to see him. But here is how that meeting goes. I'm going to, I just have the last verse of this on the screen, but I'm going to kind of set the stage for this. Uh, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he has an army. Okay. So Jacob divided the children, right? He's dividing the children among Leah and Rachel and female servants. Okay, you be here. All right, you get back there. All right, kids, get behind your mom. Get behind your mom. Everybody back here. And it says, he himself, Jacob goes on ahead, and he bowed to the ground seven times. Okay, okay, okay. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. After all that, after all the drama and dysfunction, they reconciled. I don't know if you're hearing this story and you're thinking that you have been a total Jacob to somebody or, and you don't deserve their forgiveness. Or maybe you're Esau and you're feeling like someone else has unfairly wronged you. And there's a bitterness root that has been in your heart for years. But are you ready to greet the other person like this and reconcile? Are you ready to cut it out, to cut out bitterness at the root? You have to remove it before it destroys any more relationships, before it destroys you. And maybe you're dealing with something a little worse than pizza boxes in your kitchen and dead goldfish in the toilet. Looking back, it's kind of funny, but it's not the worst thing, right? There are some stories I could have stood up here and shared with you that aren't as easy to hear in a Sunday morning sermon. And I've got them. I've got much worse stories and family dysfunction than what I shared, and I'm sure you do too. But the good news of the gospel is based on a man who did nothing wrong, the Son of God who came to earth for a bunch of deceivers, for a bunch of schemers and liars and you and me and even people who put the toilet paper on the wrong way. He came for all of us. When Jesus went to the cross, he knew about all the times that we would choose soup over him. He knew that we were sinful, and it's because of that that he became the ultimate sacrifice covering our wrongdoing and greed and pride. And like Jacob and Esau, we can be reconciled with God today no matter what we've done, and it's only 
through Christ's blood and the power that we receive through the Holy Spirit that we can, in fact, remove these bitterness roots and improve our lives. We can't do it alone, and he doesn't expect us to. So this morning, as we prepare uh, to sing another song, as we prepare to go into prayer and worship, I want to invite you to identify that bitterness root. Identify it. Name it. As we're praying together and singing the last song, ask God who or what are we still hanging on to. And I want to invite you to remove it. Walk out of here having laid it down. Don't just pinch off the top of the dandelion and call it a day, right? You have to get out the whole thing. Miles and miles of it, I want it gone before you leave here. And God can take that for you. When we walk out the door, we're not only going to walk out of here one less, two less, a dozen less bitterness roots lighter. Uh, we're going to experience recovery and reconciliation, and I'd like to bet uh, a lot um, better holiday season, a lot better Thanksgiving, a lot better Christmas, a lot better relationships with each other when we do that. So church, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you use imperfect people like Jacob and Esau to teach us lessons generations later. God, I thank you for your son Jesus who came to this earth flawless and perfect into a world of people who deceived him, into a world of people who don't deserve him. But he sacrificed for us anyway. God, we know that sacrifice covers our own wrongdoing and our own sins, God, and we thank you for it. God, we know that because of that, we have your Holy Spirit, and he has the power to help us remove some of the deepest, mile-long bitterness roots, and we ask that you do that today. We forgive that person, or we seek forgiveness, God. We repent of what we've done wrong and of those bitterness roots, God. Help us walk out of here changed. Help us walk out of here lighter and closer to you, God. We thank you for it in your son's name. Amen.